Welcome to TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and thank you so much for tuning in to this Thursday edition of the show. Today, I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart, somewhat, that actually came up on my friend Matt Druin's podcast yesterday. He recorded one that I had the pleasure of sitting in on with everybody's favorite Aussie investor, the one, the only, Reed Goosens. And it wasn't really anything specific to Matt's podcast. Um, his podcast is Go Big Live, and it's all about talking to these big hit investors that have made names for themselves and closed millions of dollars of deals in their careers. But he asks them about where they started, what their first deal was, how they moved from whatever they were doing into larger commercial multifamily, whether it was going from a W-2 or from small single families and flips and wholesaling or whatever it is. So one, con one part of the conversation that really caught my ear and that I kind of latched onto out of all of it was something that Reed mentioned that was just kind of an offhand nothing. It was, um, I don't even think he realized it, but he essentially said that the team that you surround yourself with, that you go into business with, should cover all the gaps in your personal skill set. Completely butchered, not actually the quote, okay? But all in all, talking about who's on your team, what to look for, how to vet them, that's going to be what we talk about today because I think it's important. I don't think it gets enough coverage. I've seen a ton of DIY investors try to do everything themselves, try to learn everything themselves, try to, you know, read every book, listen to every podcast, but they don't build a team. And there's a few reasons. One is, you know, a lot of them are just cheap and they don't want to spend the money. Well, that they just self-eliminated any possibility that a serious investor is going to work with them. Right, they they took themselves out of the running by not wanting to spend the money, and there's a, there's a number of ways, right? Not wanting to spend the money on a good attorney, not wanting to spend the money to make sure your taxes are being done correctly, not wanting to spend the money to pay for networking groups, not wanting to spend the money to go to conferences and network. You're going to get out of whatever you do in real estate what you put in. So if you do the bare minimum, you just show up you read a couple of books, you're probably not going to get real far. There's always exceptions to the rule, right? There's always those people who are super motivated and will just do sweat equity instead of capital every day of the week, right? They learn through the school of hard knocks. They learn by doing. Maybe they take a job with a company and learn the ropes, something. But there's major players out there who won't even talk to you if you're not showing that you're going to do X, Y, and Z, whether it's 
you know, going out and taking classes, taking courses, books are great, but they're no, none of the classes or courses or books you read are going to replace actual experience. They're not going to replace having a mentor who's already gone down the same road as you and done the stuff that you're looking to do. Because the whole point of a mentor isn't to teach you what they do. That's what a coach does, right? A mentor should be helping you by advising you because they've already been down that road. They've already made the mistakes. They're trying to quicken your learning curve. And not every mentor wants to be paid, right? Some do, some don't. But in real estate, as in most businesses, your team will make or break you. If you are the only person on your team, you are setting yourself up for failure for a couple reasons. One is the learning curve is steep. You're going to learn more by doing than you do by reading. You're going to learn more by doing than you are by listening to podcasts. You're going to learn more by getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves and getting into it than you do from any other source of education. doesn't matter what it is. No number of certifications after your name that give you funny letters, whether it's MBA, CAPS, CGA, CGP, uh, any of the, the AIA certifications, any of the um, National Association of Home Builders, National Apartment Association, none of that stuff is going to matter until you get your hands dirty, until you actually get in it and start working. So part of that is if you try to do everything, you're going to suck at everything, right? If you're getting into real estate, you're getting into it for a reason. Is it because you like the people? Is it because you like the environment? Do you like the money? Do you like creating housing? Do you like creating retail spaces? Do you like building things? Do you like operating things? Like whatever your enjoyment is whatever your skin in the game is, whatever your reason for getting into it, whatever your why is for why you want to do real estate. If you try to do it all, you're not going to get very far. Unless you're already an attorney, you're probably not going to want to go to school for 10 years to pass the bar exam to be an attorney that specializes in real estate. Right. And we'll talk a little bit about attorneys in a bit. Unless you're a CPA, you're probably not going to want to go back to school to get your license and then specialize in real estate. Unless you're already through whatever training is required, a real estate broker you're probably not going to spend the time to become a broker unless you want to be a property manager in New York State, in which case that's actually required by law. So there's a lot of things you can do in real estate without being a CPA, without being an attorney, without being a broker that doesn't require training, licenses, schooling, blah, 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 outside of what you teach yourself or what you learn through working in the industry. The problem is that people get this whole analysis paralysis thing where they want to learn it all and be able to do it all. 
What that does is that produces mediocre results. Why do I say it produces mediocre results? Simple. If you're not doing that function every single day, you're not going to be as good as the person who is doing that function every single day, even if they're not the best out there. Okay? So I suck at social media. I hate it with a passion. I'm terrible at it. But I have to do it. Right? It's part of business now. That doesn't mean that I do it all myself. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to continue to, to be involved as deeply as I am today in setting it up. Right? I have to generate content. I have to come up with a plan. I have to do the branding. I have to make sure it's in my voice, all that other stuff. But I'm bad at it. I know I'm bad at it. I'm going to learn and have learned what I need to know to make sure that it's being used effectively and that it's getting to the right audience in the right voice at the right time in the right location. So I have something that I can go back and judge to make sure that it's being effective, right? Measure ROI. You need to treat your real estate business in the same way. I am very good at the operational side of property management, maintenance, CapEx, renos, etc. because that was my wheelhouse, W2 for Home Depot, 60 to 80 hours a week for years. Before that, I spent 60 to 80 hours a week working with home builders and large contractors for 11 years at 84 Lumber, right? So I understand the supply side. I also understand how they work, what they do, and why they do what they do, because I was very curious. I wasn't just a sales guy that wanted to know. You know, I, I, did, I wasn't just out there trying to sell my junk. I was trying to understand why they were buying what they were buying so I could sell them the right junk, right? And so I could be a better sales guy because I wanted to improve. Eventually, that led me to being one of the best in the U.S. at the largest building materials dealer in the world, right? Home Depot. So, all of that notwithstanding, your attorney, your CPA, your project managers, your construction managers, your maintenance guys, anybody you're partnering with that you want to have involved in your business or that you need involved in your business because it is not your wheelhouse. All those people need to be working in it full-time, specializing in real estate, and they need to have a history of success. You need to vet them. And not just by calling on references that they give you. You need to ask about them at networking events. You need to ask about them at vendors that they may buy from or work with. You need to know how they work when no one's looking. You need to know how they deal with issues. There will always be issues in real estate. 
the ball will get dropped, things will go sideways. How they handle themselves and their business when things get tough and when things go sideways will determine whether or not they're worth doing business with. How willing are they to step up and fix the problem? It's not always about, and it should never be about, pointing fingers and assigning blame. When there is a problem that happens, as a business leader, as a service provider, as a whatever, your priority should be to make the problem go away. Not by ignoring it, not by not answering texts, phone calls, and emails. If there is a problem, the problem needs to be fixed by correcting it at the source of the problem. Okay? So when you're working with people who are on your team or that you want to be on your team or you are looking for someone to join your team to fill a skill gap, to take care of a business opportunity, you don't want to put somebody in there who's not ethical, who doesn't have experience specific to the industry, and who doesn't have a reputation of just putting their nose to the grindstone and getting it done. Not just getting it done on a day-to-day -day level of what the, the actual function is that they fill, but when the chips are down, do they stop answering their phone and disappear, or do they just grind it out and get it fixed? Regardless of, of getting paid to do so or not, right? So in my world, if I'm working with somebody, they better be able to give me a W-9, meaning that they actually exist as a business, right? I don't want to work with somebody who doesn't exist legally, not just because the government is now tracking every single transaction out there, right? If you pay somebody over $600 in a year, you have to give them a, a, a 1099. Well, if you have to give them a 1099, they need a W-9. If they don't exist, you can't issue a 1099. That's on you now. Like you are legally required to issue that 1099 if you pay somebody. How do you do that if they don't actually exist? You're just going to call them on a the phone and be like, hey, give me your social security number. I'm going to issue this thing. You think they're going to give it to you now? They are not. You need to make sure before you do any work with them that they have a legal entity that is authorized to work in the state you're in. If they have a Wyoming, Nevada, Delaware, whatever, LLC, C-Corp, S-Corp, doesn't matter. If they're in your state, they need to be registered as a foreign entity in the state. If they are not, not sure why they wouldn't be, but if they are not, there are certain things that if it goes to court will not stand up because they're not actually legally authorized to operate in the state. See it all the time with people who manage properties or own properties in, in New York. They have a, a, an LLC form somewhere else and they never register public, do the publication, do the other stuff they have to do for New York. And because of that, when it comes down time or when it comes time to get an eviction done, when it comes time to close on a sale, when it comes time to do all this other stuff, they can't do it because they're not legally here. So they can't evict somebody 
because they didn't dot their I's and cross their T's. Now, if they had a good team, that wouldn't have been an issue because their team would have alerted them to the fact that they're exposing themselves to potential loss. That conversation should have been either with a business advisor of some kind or their attorney. But when we come to the not wanting to spend money and disqualifying themselves, they're more worried about the $150, $200 an hour that they're going to pay the attorney than they are the, the potential future ramifications of doing something wrong. And not every attorney is created equal, okay? Not all of them are going to be super-duper rock stars that are going to be the best advisor on your team. It's just not realistic to think that's the case. There's more mediocre attorneys out there playing in real estate than there are exceptional attorneys. Just like everything else, you've got the, the lower 50% of the pack, and then you've got the, the 45% that kind of get by and, and do a decent job, and then you've got that top 5% that are rock stars and that will call you and let you know when weird stuff is happening that you need to be aware of that could impact your business. And they might charge you, they might not. But the reality is you should be willing to pay for counsel and pay for good advice, regardless of what it is, in order to protect your business and make sure it's running in the right way. Okay? I won't do business with somebody who doesn't have insurance. Depending on what that is, that could be liability, it could be whatever. There's, there's a lot of things in New York that are a little over the top right now as far as you know insurance requirements. It's not the same way everywhere. But it's not going to change if I do business in Tennessee or Alabama or anywhere else. Like If you're going to be on my property, if you're going to be in my office, if you're going to be doing something for me, you better be insured for whatever it is you're doing. So if you're doing construction, you need to, you need to have your, your GL policy, right? You need to have a workers' comp policy. You need to make sure, we need to make sure that you're paying your employees unemployment. It needs to be part of the, or that you're, you have unemployment insurance because it, it's actually part of the law in New York that if you're a general contractor and one of your subs that you put on a job doesn't pay comp, doesn't pay unemployment doesn't doesn't go into the system doesn't have a gl policy and that worker gets hurt it falls on a general contractor to pay that bill all of it unemployment comp you name it i'm pretty sure that most contractors don't have that baked into their plan that if a sub is stiffing somebody on their team doesn't want to pay their payroll doesn't want to pay their insurance that they're they're going to cover it are they so what are they going to do they're going to bake it into the front side of the costs for the customer. Thanks, New York. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. The, the point is, do some due diligence. And if you don't have the knowledge and the skill set to do that due diligence, find and put somebody on your team that does. It is not a difficult concept. Okay? You need to make sure that every single item that needs to be addressed 
to do the work is done. And if it makes your eyes glaze over, this is where having a business manager or a business advisor and an attorney comes in because they should be looking out for your best interests. Now, when you're looking to vet the people on your team, which I suggest, yes, they'll give you references, or at least they should be. You don't just want to talk to the people they recommend you talk to. Why? And this conversation will be slightly different, whether you're hiring an internal W-2 person or whether you're, you're hiring a 1099. A lot of my perspective is going to come from the 1099 external standpoint, because that's, that's my wheelhouse. I was a W-2 employee for 25 years, 20, 24 years, 20, I don't know, whatever, almost 25 years. I've been on my own since 2019. So my experience in doing business now through, you know, reading horror stories, seeing horror stories during my career as a W-2 employee working with these companies, or alternatively, just my own personal experience with things that have gone sideways. There are, there are just things that need to happen. So when you're vetting your team, you need to make sure that you're calling on the references they give you, but you also need to find out what, what's actually going on in their business, right? What's their reputation on the street? How do they handle relationships and business when things go wrong? Something will always go wrong. For your attorney, they need to be working in real estate full-time. That needs to be their, their primary focus and wheelhouse. So if you're working with you know, a, an attorney, a generalist, their product quality and depth of research is never going to be as good as an, as an office that has a dedicated real estate practice or an attorney that specializes in real estate and only real estate. And, and that applies to lease creation, that applies to evictions, that applies to closings, that applies to due diligence, all of the things that go into what happens across the spectrum in real estate. And why do you want somebody who's already working in real estate? Well, for one, they're going to have seen things that their other clients have gone through that you need to be aware of so you can make sure you don't have to go through it, right? Your attorney's not going to be your mentor, but they damn well better be able to inform you and help you make better decisions in how you operate your real estate business. Their job is primarily a risk management position for you. They should be advising you on how you avoid liability and avoid costs. They should also be your compliance person that's informing your business of changes in laws that you're required to adhere to to avoid any sort of big brother interference in your business. You don't want big brother to be knocking at your door saying, you had a fire, but none of your smoke detectors are current. They're all expired by 25 years. So this is on you, Mr. Building Owner, Mr. Property Manager, you need to eat this. And then your insurance company is going to go, oh, well, you weren't in, you know, you weren't in the fine print. You weren't within compliance of the fine print that we gave you on your policy. So we're actually not going to pay out on any of this. And then what do you do? You're going to go take out a loan to fix a building that should have been covered by insurance, but you decided that 
you know, basic compliance stuff wasn't important. No, did you know? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But at the end of the day, if you're non-compliant, you're non-compliant. You're going to eat it, or at least some of it. And if you don't, you're going to have to fight for it. So you really need to make sure that the people you're working with are bringing experience to the table from other people in the business that you're in. They don't have to share secrets. They don't have to breach confidentiality to say, hey, there's this law, there's this regulation, there's this thing. And I've seen in situations where X, Y, and Z happens and you lose a ton of money. Let's make sure that you're not going to put yourself in that situation. That's literally their job. Not just to execute transactions, not just to answer the phone when you call with a specific questions, with a specific question. They should be advising you and you should not be balking at paying their price for that advice. Free has no value. And there comes a point when you value engineer all the value out of something. So if you're participating in the race to the bottom, looking to just get by, you're doing it wrong. I'm not saying go out and hire the most expensive attorney around because I don't think that's a good idea either. But you need to talk to people about who, what, why, when, how your business partners do business so that you can make sure you're going to get the best bang for your buck 110% of the time. Highest value to your organization, to your company, to your investing. Highest value to your future plans. Highest return on investment. You wouldn't run a business with no ROI. Your relationship should have an ROI as well. If money is changing hands, you need to get value from it. They need to get value from it. If all you're concerned about is paying the least amount of money, they're not going to value your business. It's going to become transactional. And when something goes sideways, you're going to be the one paying the bill, not them. We've talked about the attorney. Let's talk about your CPA. I have seen CPAs who have told people that cost segregation is a scam, bonus depreciation is a scam and not worth doing, and that you there there's yeah, there's some other stuff that's that's interesting. I've seen CPAs who haven't taken advantage of depreciate taken advantage of depreciation for their clients on their properties. I've seen CPAs who have basically filed false returns by representing their their client the person they're doing the tax return for as being a real estate professional able to claim their losses in real estate investing on their return. There's very specific rules on what qualifies you as a real estate professional in order to take those losses. Your average investor that owns a few properties and has outsourced property management does not qualify regardless of the losses. Because you have to work 750 hours a year in that industry, in real estate. And you have to work on the properties in question where you're claiming the losses. You have to be over 50% of the activity at that property. So if you're getting those and you're audited you will have to prove that you're spending 750 hours a week in real estate doing real estate-related functions and that the property that you're claiming a loss on 
is your primary involvement. You have to be there interacting with the functions of that property more than anyone else, over 51%, or you cannot claim that loss. Oops. So anyway, your CPA is very important. They need to be in real estate, doing real estate-related business more than 75% of their practice. They need to be managing that. For the same reason the attorney needs to be involved in real estate. They need to know the laws, know the rules and regulations, understand how it works and why it works. Bonus depreciation is not the enemy. It is any interest-free loan. Yes, if you sell the property in five years, ten years, whatever, you take the bonus depreciation, you have to pay it back. It's free money, kids. Are you going to just take the money and do nothing with it at 0%? Or are you going to invest it and make more money? Yes, it can create liquidity issues. If you plan ahead, it's not a problem. Take the interest-free loan. I don't understand why this is a hard concept. It's a 0% loan. Take the money and invest it somewhere else and make money on your 0% loan. I don't understand why this is hard for people. If your CPA doesn't understand what a cost seg study is, how it works, or the process, fire your CPA and get somebody who knows what they're doing. Seriously. Anyway. All right, who else needs to be on your team? Who else needs to be looking out for your best interests and filling gaps? It depends on your strengths and weaknesses. You don't know what you don't know, right? Are you going to find that out through the school of hard knocks? Or is it worth bringing somebody into your team that understands it already, that already does it? Every single line item on your P&L has an has a input and an output, right? All of them. So the question is, how do you minimize those expenses? How do you minimize and avoid those costs? How do you operate your business to bring in more revenue in order to increase your net operating income? That's the whole point of this show. What are you doing to make more money for the business? What's not included in net operating income? Capital expenditures. Reserve funds and your income taxes. Oh, and also your debt service. As many syndicators have recently found out, that sometimes the cash flow from the property can't cover the debt service and then you go bankrupt. Floating rate loans are bad, kids. Anyway, um, yeah, they have they have a uh, have a use, but it's not always the best, the highest and best for your assets. You need to be teaming up with people who understand what it is you want to do or are already doing it. As a small investor, entrepreneur, solopreneur, you need to be looking for people on your team that fill the gaps in your skills that have already done it. This is why we have JV deals. It's why we have general partners. It's 
it depends on the, the, the skill set that they bring to the table. Looking at a track record of success, ethical behavior, good, solid personal life, good, solid personal reputation matters. You don't want to work with people who aren't trustworthy, who don't live in an upstanding fashion. Oh, but it's business. It's got nothing to do with their personal life. Let me ask you, if you run into an issue with somebody in business, do you think that they're going to treat your business and take your business more seriously than they take their own personal life? How they respond to challenges in their personal, family, private lives is going to be reflected in how they treat your business. If they flake out and disappear when times get tough on their families, they're going to do that to your business long before they leave their families. If you get a reputation in real estate of being the shifty guy, the shyster, the guy who doesn't answer his phone or return texts when things get hard, the person who ignores people, the person that is in it for themselves, the person with the ego the size of Cleveland, people will cut you out. There's, there's a lot of, of talk. Real estate is very inbred. And it's odd because home builders don't necessarily travel in the same circles as real estate investors. So there's, there's some delineation there. There's very little crossover, I've, I've found. But in real estate, when it's active real estate, not new construction, Everyone knows everyone and talks to everyone about what everyone does and how they got screwed or how they were awesome. And you get a reputation from that. And if your reputation isn't spotless, shining, it doesn't have to be perfect. Let's, let, me, let me rewind on spotless and shining. Your reputation isn't trustworthy. If you've burned people and there wasn't a good reason for it, and there's two sides to every story, but if you're always on the bad side of the story from everybody that, this, that, that somebody talks to, they're not going to trust you and you're not going to get business and you're always going to be scrambling. It's part of that. I put it in the bucket of the scarcity mindset where it's always all about the money. It's always about just watching out for yourself and eventually people get sick of you and you get cut out and then it creates more scarcity for you. So anyway. This episode has run a little bit longer than I intended. I'm going to cut it. So thank you for listening. If you got any value from any of my episodes, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe, leave a review, leave a review of the episode, say something, leave four stars, five stars, one star. But if you leave one star, please leave a comment and tell me why I suck so I can fix it. If you're leaving me one star because you don't agree with me, let's have a conversation. Podcast at tcomethod.com. Check out my website, andymcquade.com. Check out tcomethod.com. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much.